And whenever I'm traveling, gate attendants or the you check your luggage, they're always like, oh, I want to play guitar. And I go, please do. I was like, I picked it up at 35 and I can't believe how good I got in two years. And I'm not naturally good at it. My fingers are like stiff. I, I'm not a nat. No one would ever have been like, you're a natural. But just do it. Because I always tell this with stand-up too. People who are like, I want to do stand-up. Just do it because you once you get started, you'll regret that you didn't do it sooner. And you just have to get past the uncomfortability of looking stupid. It's so much of life we miss out on things because we don't want to look stupid. But just like once it's over, it's over and you're alive and you go, okay, I got made fun of on Howard Stern because and the song is still out there for people to mock. But okay, <laughs> literally nothing changed. My parents still love me. My friends still love me. Like I survived. It didn't kill me. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. This is a fun fact that I'm not sure you know about your own city. Have you ever been to the Four Seasons? Not the one that's like, it's not downtown. It's like a little bit outside and they do live music and dancing. No. I mean, I've been to the Four Seasons that I know you're talking about right. for dinner once, but I didn't know they did live dancing and, and music. No, that's incredible. I stayed at that hotel and it's it looks like where everybody would get married. Like if you were, you know, born and raised in St. Louis or maybe you're on the <laughs> outskirts, you would like get married in that ballroom. Yep. And on Friday and Saturday nights, I feel like I, I swear to God, this is so much cooler than it's about to sound. On Friday and Saturday nights, there is a cover band made up of people who are at least 50 plus. And you're thinking, what is that going to do? You know right. why? Because they are here for it. They do all covers and people from all of the city. It is packed, Nikki. Like everybody comes to wow. this thing on the weekend. It's kids. It's older people. It's the best people watching ever. I was there with my teenage sons and we had the most fun. Like I would kill for this experience in Austin, Texas. Oh my God. Yes. I gotta do this. Well, I'm surprised I don't know about it because my dad is actually in a band that plays all over St. Louis and he does covers. So he needs what? to book this gig. I had no idea. He He's needs playing, to book he this He plays gig. nursing homes like to perform for like old people. He does like bars and fun like you know he does a, he does grocery stores like he's all over the place they're really good but I gotta get him this Four Seasons gig I mean this sounds seriously legit. look into I, it I would love it, it was I would have never gone because I you know I go into a hotel and I just like pass out or order room service I don't do anything because you're tired same. right on the road um, I never do that, anything yes <laughs> <same>. <laughs> and that night or when I was checking in the person at the front desk was like oh 
if you've got the energy, you got to come to the lobby bar. And I was like, what are you talking ah. about? So I did it only because I was close to my period and I wanted gooey butter cake. So I ate my gooey butter cake while watching this <laughs> band. It was so fantastic that I brought my kids the next <laughs> night. We danced like it. Seriously, I, I would love for you to do that this weekend. It's it sounds amazing. I like and you saying gooey butter cake. I just listened to your episode about emotional eating because I was looking before I did this. I was like, I got to like see what she's all about because I right. obviously I've been familiar with you, but haven't done like a deep dive and haven't listened to the podcast before. I apologize, but I am Don't worry. Uh, sold because <laughs> your episode on emotional eating is like so up my alley. If some if someone by any chance hasn't heard it uh, um, that's listening now, like just I just send it to like all of my friends because it's just exactly what I've kind of learned um, in the past couple of years about eating as well of, you know, no bad foods. And just like if you just always eat when you're hungry, you like won't binge. And I just never believed right. that. And so I just love you preaching that because it's hard for people to wrap their heads around because of certainly I didn't want to believe. I just thought that if you ate normally and like you ate when you were hungry that the binges would still happen because all I knew was binges. All I knew was overeating because when right. every time I ate, I would be starving. But I didn't know I was starving because that's all I knew was being hungry. And that's right. what I, I thought Have hunger was like book? famine almost, you know? <laughs> I I read like half of it and then I was like, I get it. That's what I do with self-help <laughs> books. I read like yeah. a third of them and I go, okay, Same. I get the gist. And Same. then I then I live my life destructively within like a month after uh, feeling like <laughs> em emboldened. But no, that one really stuck. I, I actually got into you know, I did like 12 step stuff around eating and uh, arrived at the same conclusions. And that book was talked about in the rooms where I met other women struggling with the same stuff as myself. So that book was in line with everything I was already kind of hearing about and not believing. And I just, you always think you know better. You think, you think you're the exception. Like I just thought, you know, yeah, I know that there are women out there that can eat three meals a day plus snacks and have the gooey butter cake, but it's not me. I know that there are people that can eat normally and look thin and look the way I want to, the way I want my body to look, whether that's thin or not. And it turns out I'm not special. It turns out I'm like everyone else and that my body kind of, it, like you were, I'm just at the part of the podcast where you're talking about how, you know, and you're even reluctant to say it, like my body looks great. Like I look great. And like, because it's not supposed to be about that, but let's be honest, it is about that. We are living in an image obsessed culture we are all on diets to try to look a certain way. And the truth is like, yeah, as once I stopped punishing myself with exercise and food and starving, my body just found its natural place and its natural place happens to be the place I was trying to get the whole damn time. Right. Isn't that wild? Where do you feel like that came from for you? Which meaning what? What came meaning from? like I have to get to this certain aesthetic and the only way to get there is the narrative that I was sold like as a teenager, as a little girl coming into Hollywood, like where did that come from? I think it came from, you know, I always had a normal relationship with food in middle school, high school. Like I got anorexia my senior year of high school, but I, I had gained a little bit of weight when I stopped doing sports and just was overeating. My emotions were out of control. I didn't know how to handle them. And I started overeating. I gained weight and I never... I guess I just always it from that moment on, I just anorexia worked so well for so mm -hmm. well that I was in the hospital within like two months Whoa. of like starting it that Whoa. it always it always just to me like that's what I'm good at. And it works like you do lose weight. But what 
you don't know is that year, maybe months, years, whatever later, it will the pendulum would will swing the other way. And as soon as you let yourself go, you'll let yourself go big time. And then I would I yo-yoed for so many years. and It was always I can just every part of my life I can trace to like any picture I see. It's like, what were you how were you abusing yourself with food or with um, exercise at that point? Like every you know, when I, and when I was thin, I wasn't even happy because I had to run five miles a day. And if I didn't run five miles a day, I would be mad at myself. And then I would have to like starve that night. And like, there was a lot of misery uh, in it. And I think that, you know, you just get this message that like being, b- being the ideal body weight that you want to be or the ideal body, it, it takes work. And if work equals pain, and if you're not, I, I mean, I have that idea for my whole life. Like I can't really ever celebrate my accomplishments in terms of things that come easy to me. Like podcasting comes easy to me. So it doesn't feel like work. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's just a conversation. I can't count this as work today. I'm just meeting someone new, having a conversation. And so it's hard for me at the end of the day to go, I had a really long day of work because uh, people are like, well, look at your schedule. You had this interview and this podcast. And I go, but it's all just me talking. So it's hard for me to equate things that come easy to me as like the right thing to do. Everything that I, anything to celebrate, whether it's the size of my body or my accomplishments, there has to be like blood, sweat and tears on the way to it, or it doesn't count. Was that learned behavior? Do you think? Cause you said that reminded me, my mom who had less tools and resources from her family of origin than I did. She used to always say beauty equals pain, beauty equals pain. And she meant it. And I, as a little girl growing up in the 80s, couldn't have really contemplated how fucked up that is. But the idea of ever telling my daughter, who's five, that in order for her to be beautiful, she must be in pain is wild. It's wild. And we all, like, you know, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, yep. all those kind of, yep. m- the messaging. I mean, even the shoes we wear, like, my my feet are have developed into the shape of a stiletto shoe. I have severe bunion pain because of trying to, to look good in shoes. And it does look good. It does. They look good. I mean, like, they do look good. There's constant but, yeah. pain. Like, even, you, but there is something about pain that actually does feel good. I get off on pain. I get off on being a survivor and making it through. Like if there's a workout, like now when I work out, I have a healthy relationship with working out, but there are those times where I'm like, it hurts so bad. I want to stop so bad. And then you just push through, not to a point where you're going to break something or get a stress fracture like I used to, but there's a, there's a sense of accomplishment when things get hard. So I think that we're just the American spirit of like, you got to always be where things have to be painful to then enjoy the fruits of your labor. You can't have dessert without suffering first, without doing a spin class. Like, how dare you? Wow. Uh, There always has to be. I mean, my my friend used to say to me, she goes, my old roommate, she goes, you're the only person that ever I've ever heard say I don't deserve a nap today. Like, I'd be like, I need a nap so bad, but I don't deserve it yet. And she was like, there's constantly like this. You don't deserve things. Right. So I think it's like, uh, you know. It's a self-loathing of makeup companies and diet company. Like everyone benefits from making women feel bad about themselves. I mean, pickup artistry is all about men like insult women and they'll like you more. Like it's like it's 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 a pretty, uh, you know, foolproof uh, formula to get what to 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 market things is to make people feel bad about themselves. So it's no wonder that we've 
sponged it up. Right. Um, but it's a constant struggle. I just, I mean, I even had a hard time this morning of like just feeling a little bit larger than I want to, whether it's my perception, who knows, something's off this morning. And it's generally has to do with like my mental state. Like I didn't get enough sleep. I got too much sleep. I'm, my hormones are, something's going on. Cause my body, it really, it's none of my fucking business. I mean, that's really what I've kind of have to keep going back to is like, I don't really have control of it. It's none of my business. Like your body. Let, I don't like certain, I don't, no, it's none of my, that's another thing I, I picked up in 12 step is that your body's none of your business. Like it's God's business. Like leave it. And I'm not a oh, someone who okay. believes in God necessarily. I believe in just like things being out of my control where it's like, it's going to be what it wants to be. Stop trying to control it. Like I think control is a big thing for me. And so today to get out of that, even though I didn't want to, what always works for me is just saying over and over in my head or out loud. I did it kind of out loud is I approve of myself. I approve of myself. I approve of myself. I approve of it. Like as I'm putting lotion on my legs that I just, you know, insulted myself about, I'm like, I approve of myself. I And then five minutes of doing that, like a crazy person, just muttering that to myself over and over. It kind of worked. Yeah. And I got that one from Louise Hay, who oh, I, I whose stuff Louise I pull up Hay. sometimes when yeah. I'm feeling sad. Because if you approve of yourself, you could be anything. Yeah. She's like the grandmother oh. that we all need to like read us to yes. sleep. Yes. And she does every night for me. <laughs> Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99. And sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. You just said like 12 things that I have to unpack with you because my mind is like blowing and I sure. we just like let's dig into these if if you're willing. This idea of your body being none of your business. I have not been in the program that you're in and I'm here for anything that helps you to come to terms with all of that to feel better, to heal, to move through it. I want I'm just curious because I've spent the last 3 years trying to be connected to my body for the first time and I yeah. only got there because I had a wild hormone imbalance that made me a lunatic and it took a lot of doctors and a lot of work and a lot of therapy to get to the place where I'm like really in tune with my body. I'm just curious if 
does that make you feel disconnected? The idea that like, oh, this is happening and it's none of my business or it's more, I will allow this to be whatever it is because of the respect I have for my body. You know, I get how it could be maybe not the best messaging. For me, it helps because I'm just tired of being and thinking I'm in control of everything. It's, I guess it's for me, I, I mm. think of it as much as like, it's as much my business as like my boyfriend's body is my business. Like it, I, I wish I could make him healthy and like get him to do the right stretches and whatever he needs. I just got to let go and things aren't my fault. And I, you know, I fuck up and I, I just, I have such a, it's so much easier to just go like, okay, you know what? My legs look a little chunky today. These pants are tight. I don't want them to be tight. This isn't my fault. Yes, I ate too much yesterday. Yes, I didn't work out. Yes, I could have gone to the gym when I didn't. But if I could have gone to the gym, I would have. I, I obviously couldn't. There was something in me that couldn't do it. So it's not my fault. It's not like I'm a lazy person. I used to like put so much on all my choices of like, you're a piece of shit. You're lazy. You're you're not as good as Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever I'm comparing myself. Like there's so much more discipline than you, but it's like Gwyneth Paltrow just got a more disciplined brain when she was born than me. Like that's just, she also got different bone structure. Like and anything I really do feel like, wow, I, I, I have a hard time celebrating my accomplishments. It's not taking anything from me, but like when people are like, you work so hard or you're so funny. I'm just like, I was just born with a brain. That's funny. I had enough, like, I don't know, dysfunction as a child that amounted to, I didn't get to choose this. I, I, I'm happy that I have it. Like in, for instance, I always get complimented on my legs. People are always like, you have amazing legs, which I hated my legs until like a year ago because they were always more muscular. My sister's legs were always like thin and like modely and mine were like kind of just more, they're long, but they're muscular. And I was just like, ugh, and I always covered them up. And then suddenly I embrace them and I love them now. And people, you know, I show them a lot. So people compliment them and I always go, People go, what is your workout? And I'm like, legit nothing. You know what? How I how I got these legs? My dad ejaculated in my mom in 1984, and I got his DNA. And I have my dad's legs. Like that's all that happened. It's luck. I didn't do anything. And then I, I really, I mean, I have my dad's legs to a t. Like it's almost creepy how much. And he just has naturally muscular kind of felt legs. I lucked out. And so when I get jealous of other people now, I just kind of go, whether they did get it through you know, Pilates or whatever. And I go, I could do that. It just goes like, no, I couldn't. I wasn't born with a brain that likes Pilates or group workouts. So I just don't have, they, they just got lucky that they got that kind of brain or that kind of motivation within them. I don't need to beat myself up that I don't have that. I just feel like not, my body's not in my business is kind of under the same umbrella of like, let yourself off the hook. I, I think one thing that I got in when I was actively like going to program stuff and, and 12 step stuff, which I'm not as much anymore because I kind of, you know, I, it's just my own journey. But one thing that I did get that you touched on in your emotional eating episode was that I would like I struggle with pot use. Like that's my one thing. I've given up alcohol. I have a fairly normal relationship with food based on my history, but I really struggle with weed. I like you know, I go in and out of being like, never again. And then I'll start and I'll be like, I could just do it socially for this one thing. And then I'm like, no, I want to do it every day. And then it eventually leads to me being like, oh, I got to throw it all out. What's the, tell me the like scenario. We're smoking it. We're having edibles. Like what is it the culture of like being a comedian? Where, where does that come in? Weed for me, it makes me energized and it makes me like 
just it it just tilts my reality a little bit. It's fun. You know, like I don't drink anymore. It's like a way to get out of my head. It calms. It gives me like a new, it gives me anxiety for sure. But it's like, I kind of thrive on anxiety <sighs> as, as someone who does stand up comedy. Like I thrive on putting myself in situations that are kind of scary that, and then when I get through them, I'm like, yes. So like, I kind of like being high. Cause it's like leveling up on your life where you're like, it's going to be harder to like function in that. I don't know. I just, I just like it. But I always struggle with it because it becomes something I want to do all the time. For me, it always starts as like, oh, I've gone six months without it. You know what? I'm going to this concert. I really like want to enjoy this music on a different level. Like I'll pop an edible. And then the edible, I'll be like, this is taking too long. I just, I really like inhaling smoke and feeling it right away. I'm not the type of pot smoker who like rolls a joint and is like delicate about it and takes their time and like puts on music and lights candles. Like I want to hit an, a dirty pipe, like on a sidewalk, crouched in a corner, like so blocking the wind, like a literal crackhead. Like I just want it in me right away. <laughs> and so it's not a good look. Like it's something that I'm ashamed of because it's it's dirty. It smells People are annoyed by it if they walk by. Like, it's not like a pleasant smell if you don't smoke pot. It's great if you're amongst, you know, company. But I'm not really someone who has a lot of pothead friends. Like, it's kind of like I'm the only one. And and it's just something I like to do before stand-up shows. Like, it's really weird. But, like, I sometimes before I go on tour every weekend, I'm doing hour and a half performances. And I just want to feel something different because I want to bring something different to it. And it just makes my mind go and take a little detour. And then I have a different kind of fun on stage than just if I'm kind of getting bored with my act. So then it'll be something I'm like, I'm going to do it before I go on stage. And then that goes great for a while because any pot smoker listening knows like, Pot can like make you have like the best performance of your life. Let's say if you're a musician or whatever, or just socially, you just have a great night. And then pot can also like, it's like a shishito pepper. Like one in 12 is going to like really fuck up your world and be like, (laughs) I should not have done this. I couldn't function. I mean, it makes you a moron. There's no doubt about it that over time I get stupider and slower on pot. And so it always starts out fun. It's it's kind of like a diet. Like, you know how you can be energized by a diet at first and be like, I'm doing this. You see the results. And then it starts to go like, this sucks. I'm in pain. Like, I don't even like this food that I'm like, these fucking plain chicken breasts are depressing. This little cup of rice, whatever it is you're doing, like, it's not, you're not even looking forward to it anymore. And then you overdo it or you stop. And then, so I, for me, I always end up like, I would say once a year, twice a year I quit pot entirely but now what I've been doing is like forgiving myself for needing a little hit of weed like what you know what like I'm not trying to do this so I like you know fund drug lords and because I want to disappoint my mom and have my boyfriend roll his eyes like I'm not doing this to hurt anyone I'm doing it because I obviously am struggling And it's the only thing to soothe whatever is happening right now. And yes, there are better things to reach for. A journal, calling a friend, going to a meeting. But I want to just get a little... Oh, God. Well, we all got to have a vice. I know. But I have such guilt around it. And I think as soon as I just like don't beat myself up about it, it gets... The use gets less and less of like 
because usually when I'm smoking pot for the first time after a long time of not doing it, I'm like, you, you failed. Like, it's almost like when you start to binge, you're like, do it as fast as I can. Yes. So I don't. Yes. So it doesn't, yes. the guilt doesn't catch up to me and I can taste it before the guilt hits. I feel like I'm always doing that. Yes. But instead now I'm just like, it's almost like letting yourself have the things you used to say no to. Like I'm letting myself have pot because I need a little. I need a little sugar right now. Like I need it. And it might not be the best. It's it's like, you know, refined sugar and polysaturated fats, whatever. But like sometimes you just crave it because you had a long day and you want a little treat. And so if I treat it like that and I don't right. just beat myself up, because the thing that I, the, the, the story that I love, the antidote, and then I'll stop this fucking monologue that I loved from, that I got from a 12 step <laughs> meeting once was that this woman said that she, she had a sugar addiction. So she did have like, I, she can't have sugar because it will derail her. And there are some people that literally have like no-no foods of like, it's like crack, you know, it will ruin their life. But she had Oreos in her car and she was driving home and it was for her family. And she goes, I'm just going to have one, like we all do, right? Like just going to have one. And then one led to two. One, And then by the time she was done at the stop, like ready to go from the stoplight, she had had a whole row. And the stress, that she, the, the embarrassment, the shame that she had over having that whole row why we overeat, why we reach for the pot, why we reach for booze is because we are uncomfortable and we're stressed out in our own skin. Now, this woman beating herself up about that row of Oreos is has nothing in her car to soothe her through this anxiety about what a fuck up she is because she had six or whatever Oreos. The only thing she has is the Oreos. So what does she do? She eats the whole freaking bag. Whereas if she would have just been gentle with herself after that first row and said, you must have needed that girl. That's eh, not on your food plan. But clearly you are in pain right now. You're stressed out about this party or whatever it is. You needed that row. Good for you. Just have it. Let yourself go. She could have avoided eating the whole bag. So it's really about how we beat ourselves up more than it is like the things we're doing. Absolutely. I, I, I think. And th that that leads to overuse. And so if I'm gentle with myself about, you need a little hit of pot, maybe that will lead to me not having the whole joint and just having a little puff ski, you know? Like <laughs> that is stuff, just just that voice I, I talk to myself with. I'm just trying to be more gentle. Like last night I was trying to go to sleep and I was just like, shh. It's time to sleep. I would just start saying it to myself. And I was like, wait, this fucking works. I'm like treating myself like a little baby. Yep. And it's it feels ridiculous. And my boyfriend was already asleep, thank God, because he would have been like, what are you doing? But I, I just, I want to be just nicer to myself because, um, but it's so hard because it's kind of feels great to beat up on yourself a little bit, to cyber bully yourself and like zoom in on <laughs> oh pictures God. of yourself and send them to your friends and be like, look at, I'm a monster. Tell me I'm not a monster. Wouldn't you Girl, get plastic no, surgery if you looked is... like this? Like, oh, oh I can God. be, I can be the nicest to myself and I can be a literal middle school bully. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to say, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way, as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. 
While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Progressive where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. But I wonder how much your job in doing stand-up, in, you know, you're putting together a whole show, you're trying stuff out, you're going up there, and you've been doing this for a very long time. How much does that, like, has that become the narrative because that's the joke? Like, it's easy to make a joke, and so you're going to constantly look at your own life and the things that you can analyze and tear apart. Yeah, I think, you know... That's something I struggle with with stand up right now, because after I got into eating disorder recovery during the pandemic, stand up was also taken away at that time. So it made sense that as soon as this like thing I was doing every single night of my life was pulled out from under me, a thing that filled the time that just like occupied my brain space, suddenly my eating habits got really bad and I was just waking up with food in my bed and it was just a sad sight. So that's when I found myself getting like reaching out for help and finding a, a, a balanced, healthier relationship with food. And I feel like as soon as I did that, I, I learned in that process also, which was a huge part of it, was to love myself. And then I go back to stand up and I'm like, oh, wait, these two don't go yeah. together. Like my whole thing, that's what I loved about stand up. I could finally make the jokes about myself before maybe someone could make them about me. I was always scared Uh, you know, I never felt like the pretty girl in high school. I never felt popular. I always was scared, you know, boys would make fun of my looks or whatever, whatever I had going on. So I was like, stand up was a way to beat them to the punch and certainly doing like all the roasts. Like I, I love doing roasts. I would probably do them again. I, I question it though, because the last time I did a roast, I was 34, I think. And now I'm 38. And then when you're 34, they, 
they can make jokes about you being old, but they like don't really get laughs because people are like, she's 34. Like that's not, but 38, like they can start. And my face has changed a little. Like I'm starting to show signs of aging. I'm not saying that I'm old looking, but like 38 is 38. Like it's, it is what it is. My eggs are drying up. Things are happening. So like the jokes now about me in a roast, even though I sign up for them are like, so terrifying to me to be faced because when you do a roast, you have, you like, you, you are so mean and get to be mean to people. You have to open yourself up and be okay with having horrible things said about you because it's part of the deal that you make with the devil, um, being comedy central in this, uh, in this example. But like, I, I kind of don't think I could handle a roast. Like my friend Whitney Cummings did a roast recently for her birthday and she asked me to do it. And I go, girl, I don't know that my ego, I like, I don't want to spend, I don't want to get a facelift after this. I'm not ready for one. And I think that would like make me get one with all these like male <laughs> comics telling me how old I look. So it's like, I don't know. Stand up for me. My new act is, is more about like, I can make fun of myself, but in a loving way, like I, I accept myself. Like, that's what I was saying. Like the, the mantra I do, I approve of myself. I can still be like, yeah, I look like Owen Wilson some mornings. And that's funny. It doesn't mean I don't like myself. Like, I can look ugly. And ugly to me doesn't mean you don't deserve love. You're a bad person. Like, I can still make fun of myself. And instead of all the bad things I say or, like, quote, unquote, bad, they're just facts. Like, some days I do look like Larry Bird. or what, Like, some days I do look like there, there's just things I can say about myself that are that one might go, don't say that you're not old. And it's like, but I am getting old. Like my vagina is drying up. Like these aren't necessarily mean things. It's just factual. And I don't subscribe morality to looking ugly one day or looking old. I'm trying to strip that away. So a thing that I like get annoyed by is when I talk about like, I'm getting older and people go, no, no, you're not old. No, don't say that. And I go, well, someday I will be. And it sounds like based on this reaction, it sounds like a horrible thing to be because I do plan on living long enough to be quote unquote old, but people go, no, you're not old. Not that there's anything wrong with being old, but you're not, don't say that. And so I just, I kind of want to get to a place of like, yeah, I'm going to be fucking old and it's going to be fine. And, you know, I am at a weird age. Like, I'm really struggling right now. I'm like, tomorrow I have to decide if I'm going to freeze my eggs. And I'm very resentful of the whole thing. It's very expensive. I kind of need to do it. This is the last day I think I can do it. (laughs) Like, is tomorrow. (laughs) Or they're going to be like, this is a waste of, (laughs) you know, $30,000. But it's like, I'm really struggling with, this thing that all of a sudden showed up in my life, which is like fertility, just, you know, plummeting overnight. Like I never saw that chart. That's like 35. Like it's a chart. That's your age. And it looks like, Oh, a green Hill, like skiing. And then all of a sudden at 35, it's like a black diamond. And it's suddenly like straight down. I'm like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) When no one told me I was, you know, I had no idea. And so now, and I don't even want kids. And it's like this weird thing of, do I prepare for this thing that I might want someday? That's what I was just going to ask you is like, do you even want children? Or is this like a societal norm that you're like, well, just in case I'll go it's through It's societal this norm because I heard Jennifer Aniston in a recent interview say she regretted not freezing her eggs. I have a couple friends that have said I regret not doing it. Like most of the people I talk to that didn't do it say they would have liked the option. So I'm I'm doing it because I have the, the money um, it's not my favorite thing to right. spend money on, which is something that I'm like insurance in essentially. I have a boyfriend now. We've been together off and on for like 10 years, but 
and and we don't want kids and uh, you know it would for me to want kids it would take someone being like I really want to be a dad I can't wait to be a very much like almost like a dad that's almost like a mother role is what I would need um <laughs> so but I do think like maybe my like I am such a dark person like, maybe my boyfriend will die and I have to like find a guy and what if that guy like wants kids and maybe I do want kids like I've heard girls go like I didn't want kids and then I met this guy and I was like I can't wait to have kids with you and I there's something beautiful about li- leaving that option open to me, even though my current s- situation, we are not going to have kids. I mean, but he's my boyfriend. We're not even engaged. So I am, I've told him before, like, I'm doing this in case we break up or you die. And I meet a guy who's like, I need my own kids. And because <laughs> I would adopt. And so I'm doing this for a future guy that doesn't even exist, who has very staunch uh, beliefs about, you know, having his own kids. And that's why I'm doing it. I'm just doing it because I don't want to have regrets, which is something I'm often haunted by. But yesterday I decided I'm not doing it. Like I went through the whole process of blood work and they scan your follicles and I was like ready to do it. And then I called to get the medicine to start doing like I start medicine next week. And I called the pharmacy because they called me and I go, why do, why are they calling me? And I talked to the doctor and they're like, they're probably calling you to talk about the cost. Cause it's like a lot. And I'm like, Oh, I can handle that. I think I've already heard the cost, but let me just call them to check. And it was $6,900 for one round of Holy medicine shit. for one. And I have to have at least, I mean, we're going to do two cycles. So that's that times two plus $6,000 for the first cycle, another four for the second. So, I mean, we're talking so much money. And I just, I don't even know what credit card to put that on. Like it's, that's so, I'm just, I'm going to go to Walgreens and pay $7,000. Like, am I going to get points? Am I going to get Walgreens cash for that? Like, I just can't, I've just, I haven't spent that much money on like literally any. So yesterday, I mean, I woke up this morning being like, I'm not doing it. I'm calling my doctor. I've already put a $2,000 down payment, but at least I'll just bail on this. But now I'm like, just do it. Like you had a good weekend in Joliet, Illinois with ticket sales. Use that money and just do I it. I just dr- Joliet too. You and I <laughs> you are on did? the same tour, dude. <laughs> yes, yes, we're on the same tour. That theater is beautiful, by the way. Gorgeous. The Rialto or something like that. Yes. Gorgeous. Look, one of my Everything favorites. outside of that theater, not as gorgeous, but that theater, man, right. what a jewel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just beautiful. kidding. I love Joliet. Wait. Please wait, have me back. But- not only the financial costs of you doing this, yes. but also what it's going to do to your body to have to fuck with your hormones, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a photo Wild. shoot coming up and they were like, are you prepared to be a lot heavier? And I'm like, yeah, I can. I think psychologically I can handle it. Like, because again, not my fault. I have to, there's these hormones things. Yeah. I'll just be okay. Um. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. And then I watch videos that it's like this is this is just making money off of sad women and convincing women like you're worthless unless you can provide children for a man like and I hate to support any industry that's like lying to me. I'm really like over, you know, diet industry, makeup industry, beauty industry, even though I fall for all of the gimmicks. I'm just there's a part of me that wants to be like, no, I'm not going to give money to this thing that preys on women's insecurities about aging but at the same time Paris Hilton just like announced she had a baby and I go how'd this bitch do it and then I go ah she froze her eggs and Wait, she used a surrogate Paris had man a baby? 
Yes, oh, dude. It was last her. night. Right. Get it, girl. Yeah. So there, she has a picture of her finger and a little baby holding it. And I'm like, oh, she did. She did Aww. it. She froze her well, eggs. So I'm like, her. I know. So I'm just like, I, it's stuff like this that's all coming up. That's just out of nowhere was like, oh, I'm 38. Like, this is kind of the year to, that you need to freeze your eggs if you're going to do it. And, and I just, it's just a constant struggle of. I mean, uh, there's days where I feel like, oh, I've got it all together. I like myself so much. I'm happy with my place in the world. And then there are days where I just get so depressed. Like, I suffer with depression a lot. So I just, I I know that if I wanted to have a kid, I would have to have that more in line of, like, um, I would have to have, like, a, a consistent, like, six-month period of no, like, low lows. Even though you can't guarantee that once you have kids, postpartum, all the things. Yeah. But my depression is, like... There's a part of me that's like, I don't want to bring a kid into this. I barely want to bring a dog into that. I mean, like it's uh, depression can really <laughs> it it does a it does a number on me. Absolutely. I have, you know, I, I I have really struggle with that. But it's um, I think the bottom line is just like take it easy, and I just have to look at this like I have to. I'm I'm trying desperately to change the narrative about freezing my eggs as like this empowering thing like I get to like wait now and I, it buys me some time to do what I want and have my boyfriend and have my cake and eat it too like I have to like change the way I'm yeah. talking about it to myself because if I go through this whole thing and I'm jabbing myself in the stomach and being like fucking patriarchy and like bitching about it, like what am I do like I don't even think they'll harvest any eggs. The eggs will be like yeah. angry and made from <laughs> yeah. stress. So yeah, they're like I gotta Screw just you. I, we want no part of it. They'll be made from stress. Well, yes. I, I would also just like to say I think about this a lot that I have four children. Four, dude. Yeah. That's, it's so many kids. And so I many. love my kids. I'm doing that. You know, here's the asterisk. Like I love them so much. They're the best thing in the entire world. But I absolutely grew up in a culture and then married into a culture where that was my role. That was what I was supposed to do. I met my ex-husband when I was 18 years old. I literally could not wow. imagine a life for myself that wasn't, I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to be a wife and that's what I'm going to do. And mm -hmm. having kids is so fucking hard. It is so hard. It is never <laughs> not hard. It doesn't matter how you feel today. If you're hormonal, if you're bleeding out, if you've got diarrhea, yeah. if you're depressed, if you you're, do it doesn't it. matter because you got it. It's so impossible. And I wanted it. So I all the time yeah. think this, like for girlfriends who ask whatever, I'm like, if you are not one million percent, like <laughs> I cannot wait to be a parent. You shouldn't right. have kids. You freaking shouldn't I know. have kids. Because I would even not if you right have now. a partner, like it's just so hard. I just get fear that, uh, that, that, because I have heard, even though I've never wanted kids, I've heard that something happens where you just <laughs> suddenly are like, you want them so bad. And I know that maybe that's just like, you know, everything's your hormones. So it, I mean, it is your hormones and it, maybe it's like a drug on your brain, like playing tricks on your brain. But I'm just... I'm someone who hates missed opportunities and I would hate and you know there's something to the fact that you caveated that whole thing with it's the best thing ever. I like no parent parent parenthood is like the greatest gift in the world you the love you feel like I kind of feel sad missing out on that a little bit. Like I, I there's a part of me that well, goes Well so I will say the children 
are the best. Like, I love these humans. And I understand mm -hmm. that they wouldn't be here if I hadn't worked to bring them into the world. But the process of parenting, that is a punch in Oof. the balls. That is, <laughs> it, it, if you got one of them, that's okay. The other one's going to have a meltdown. I, I'm on a first name basis with every single principal in my name. Like, it's wow. just parenting is a bitch so you gotta really want those babies to sign up mm -hmm. it's unrelenting and i I, yeah. I i say it all the time like the kids are great having to be their parent that's that's a uh, oh my gosh that's a job yeah it's a damn job i know and it's like i guess i get kind of persuaded by my friends who want babies so much like i have this kind of weird complex where i'm not when I'm not like other women, I get really insecure. Like if I don't like, I don't like cooking. Mm. I don't like home decor and design. Like I don't care. I don't know what a sconce is. And I feel really like bad that I don't like hiking. <laughs> there are certain things I don't like that everyone seems to love. And I'm like, what's wrong with me that I don't want this? And so I try to like, maybe I'll be that kind of woman. Like I want to be someone I'm not. My boyfriend is always like, I've never met someone who wants to like things they don't like. Like, I understand wanting things that you do like, <laughs> but like I've never met someone who constantly is mad at themselves for not being like other people and wanting what they like. So I do believe that the age I'm at, you know, 38, all of my friends are like either desperately trying to conceive or they're bummed out like that they can't, like they're, it's, it's all of, like all of my friends are struggling with it right now. And so I think that's like kind of in, I'm in an echo chamber of like the the only thing you could care about right now is wanting kids. So I think I'm I'm kind of stuck in that as well. And and just you know, it's it sucks that I have to make this decision by like today and like pick up and go spend to, that yeah, money at seriously. Walgreens. It's so crazy. But like this is this is kind of like what I do in my life is like make insane decision say yes to things and then I get to them and I go oh no I have to do that now like I always say like my success is due a lot to saying yes to stuff and then when I have to do it I'm like oh no and then but you got to do it you said yes you know like having deadlines signing up for things saying yes ahead of time so it's kind of part of my makeup is to hurl myself into things I think I don't want this now, but I might want this later. And then that shows up and you right. go, I still don't want this, but now I got to do it. And it ends up being a good thing that I, you know, dread the whole time. Do you do that a lot? Like, do you, with books and stuff, like, do you find that, like, the fact that you've written so many books, I mean, books to me, I like was going to write a book. I got a woman to work with me on it, <laughs> not a ghostwriter, but someone just to like hold my hand through the process. And I like ghosted her. Like talk about a ghostwriter. I ghosted her because I was just <laughs> couldn't turn in pages fast enough. I was always a disappointment. My my you know my book agent is just so I can tell there's just disappointment across the board for me not making these deadlines. I couldn't do it. How did you get through that process? Because writing a book is the I can barely read one. Writing one is so hard. Do you work well with deadlines? How did you do it? Okay, so a couple of thoughts. One, before I answer the book question, I just want to say, mm -hmm. back to your decision that you have to make, because I want to yes. be like a good girlfriend and give you this thought. If you can't afford it, then do it and buy yourself peace of mind, period. Okay. Like, it's yes. that's it. Because maybe you won't ever use it. But like you said, regret is something that you worry about. So just mm -hmm. take that weight off your shoulders. Fuck it. It's done. I did it. 
and maybe you donate those eggs someday. Like maybe you don't do anything with them. Maybe you have a friend who ends up needing eggs and oh my God, it was all for a reason. They weren't ever, like who knows? Oh, but I like that. But you just that. get to I like, like that take that off your brain. Yes. Just okay. take it off okay. your brain so that you can focus on other stuff. Thank for you. For me, I, you're welcome. I love a deadline. I love a deadline. In fact, I've been working on a book for a couple of years but the honest to God truth is it's due at the end of this month. I have written this book this month. Like I really do sort of wait until the very last minute and cram. It's kind God, of the only way that, yeah, it's the only way that I'll get stuff done. You said something earlier about if you were smoking before you went on stage that was almost like, ooh, let's see what this will do. And it reminded yes. me of an interview I did like years ago with this guy who uh, is a trainer, like a basketball trainer. He trained Jordan and like LeBron and like all of these amazing people. And he was saying that a lot of his athletes would get to a place that they would sort of be bored with the wins. So they would intentionally self-sabotage to, to level up. They'd be like, well, yes. could I do it hungover? Could I go play game seven hungover just to see, just to have yes. a little excitement? Yes. And it feels like you saying like you need things like to be ankle hard. Weights. Yeah, yes. you're like, okay, this isn't hard enough. I've got to make it more interesting or I've got to go out there and do a totally new set unprepared. You're so right because there will be times where I'm like, it it makes me feel like I just started stand-up again because when I used to start, when I first did stand-up, doing three minutes on stage was impossible. I would have like a little piece of paper with my jokes written on it and I would have, I'd be so scared I would forget anything. And now I can do an hour and a half without looking at any notes. Totally fine. No problem. And But when I'm high, sometimes I'll be like in the middle of a joke and I go, I don't know how this one ends. I kind of forget. And yes. it makes me feel alive because I go, you got to stall in an efficient way. To and You have to not only be talking, but you have to be figuring out the future. And it feels like, and then when you get it right, it feels so good. And then when you have to go, sorry, guys, wait, where was I again? Like that feels horrible. Yes. And that's kind of when you have a wake up call. But um, yeah, it definitely, it definitely ups the stakes a lot. And I think that's exactly it. It's like you get bored and you need to make it scary again. I need to get my adrenaline up of like, what am I doing? I'm high on TV. What? Like, I'll just like, <laughs> it's self-sabotage completely. And sometimes it goes great. But I, like I said, like sometimes it can really backfire because you're, you're playing, um, you're playing a dangerous game. <laughs> like yeah. I should just like no celebrate that this is easy for me and just like have fun. But I, I, there's something about you got, I got to feel alive up there and, and uh, being scared makes me feel alive. I've totally done this. There was a couple of years where I was booked constantly to do motivational speeches all around the world, all around the country. And it's amazing. And you're so grateful. And you have those moments where you're like, holy shit, I can't believe that I'm here or that someone would pay me to do this or that there's this yeah. many people in the audience. But when you do the same thing over and over, you start trying all these little gimmicks to kind of make it more interesting. Because you and I both know that when you have those moments where you're flying without a net, that you like, you to your point, sometimes you crash, but sometimes you have a moment of magic that there's no other way to replicate that. So yeah. I would intentionally go like, oh, there's 15,000 people in the audience right now. I'm going to go do a 90-minute keynote without preparing at all. Like I won't even write. Yes. I don't even know what I'm going to say till I get there, which is yes. insane. But I like – it also was miraculous because I taught myself to every single time – 
I'll deliver. I will land this fucking plane. Even if there's a moment where I'm like, I don't know what I, I don't know what I just started talking about, but let's just see where this goes. Oh my God. I mean, Rachel, it's the, I do the same thing. Like I'm embarrassed to admit it, but like I perform for these, like people come up to see me and what they don't know is I have done, I have not looked at my notes. I have like, I just go, people always go like, what do you, so how do you remember all that? And I go, it's stream of consciousness. I'm just grabbing at it because I've trained myself to do that at this point because I've yep. done it so many times where I'm like, I'm going to risk not having any. Because pre- I'm also preparation equals if I look at my notes and then I go up, I might look at like looking at my notes backstage. I might focus on how I'm not good enough. Like I'll be like, this joke isn't that funny. I it, like it's it, it's I'm avoiding self-critique which is terrifying to me it would make me a better stand-up but there are I really do go up um totally unprepared a lot of times no idea where I'm gonna end or end up and then I'm always forced to like eventually tape a special or go on Fallon or something and you you have to like write out your set and like really prepare it and that's when I'm like oh I should have done this before like it really it really (laughs) makes me so happy to hear that you get books done in the last month because it is yeah. absolutely, I've always worked that way, you know, and hi- my mom always is like, you always wait till the last second. I remember you in high school just staying up all night the night before paper was due and that paper was due at 815 in the morning. And I would, I would be, I would be printing at 750, you know, like it, and I loved <laughs> that feeling. And then you get a, an A minus on it and you go, I got an A minus when I didn't even read this goddamn book. And then I wrote a whole thing right. about like. There's just some thrill in getting away. It's the same thrill I got when I used to shoplift. Like I didn't even want the things I would oh, steal. I was in it was in college. Shit. Just like like w- once you walk through that door and you like the beat the buzzer doesn't go off and you're like <gasps> I just risked so much for nothing for what for this shirt that I don't even want that didn't have a sensor wow. on it. I think you know like I used to get such a thrill out of these little like I'm getting away with murder things and um. And but then I got caught shoplifting and that ended that like you, you like bomb horribly once or like, you know, and then you kind of go, I can't do that anymore. Like I haven't had the getting caught stealing moment of like not preparing on stage yet where it's like been so bad and so embarrassing right. that I go, I can never do that again, but it's waiting for me. <laughs> no, I have to say that for me and I I assume this is the case for you, too, but maybe I'm putting words in your mouth for me. I care about each individual audience that I'm standing in front of. And I know that magic happens if I'm not overly prepared for something. You end up interacting with the audience. You end up, oh, that guy in the back of the room. And you have this moment. And it's this unique experience. Because if I'm just... You and I both know there are comedians, there are keynote speakers, there are people who just do the same fucking, that you could like verbatim, like do the bits with them. That it's boring. I can't even watch it. Right. I really can't watch comedians that are like performative and they scrunch their face in the same way for every joke and they get as angry. And I'm like, you're not angry about that thing anymore. Like if I'm telling a joke where it's like was based on anger, I better find a way to get myself as angry about that thing as I was the day I wrote that joke. Otherwise, it's not worth telling because I don't want to fake anything. Like I really, as as someone who right. enjoys going to see shows, like I don't like going to Broadway shows. I mean, I kind of, people have sold me on it now because I always used to think that they just do the same show every day and they must be so bored. And they're like thinking about their grocery list and they're thinking about like, God, I can't wait till <laughs> this is over and I can go up. Like I just constantly was projecting how bored they were but now I've learned that like 
Broadway shows, they like have fun within like the parameters of what they have they to do. do. Like they'll yeah. like, you know, try to make yeah. each other laugh and stuff. So that that makes me go, OK, maybe I can get on board with seeing this because I just want my performer to be having fun. And that's why when I'm on the road, I bring my friends with me to open for me. I like I, my agents are always like, are you sure you want this band opening for you? It's like taking all of your money to have to page. And I'm like, yes, because. I will be in a good yeah. mood if I get to watch a band yeah. that I love open for me. And that makes for a better show for everyone because I want them to see Nikki like at her. I, I don't want to go to a Taylor Swift show when Taylor is like in a bad mood. Like I can't even watch her yeah. 1989 tour because I knew she was starving herself at the time. And she was like really like sad and like hungry during that time. So it's hard for me to watch clips from that, even though I'm a Swifty, <laughs> because I know she was like not having a good time. So I... Like you said, I try to, I, I, I do care about the audience in that I want them to see a, a version of myself that's not resentful that I have to be there. Like I try to set the stakes right. that I'm like, I'm having fun. I'm feeling something. I'm alive up there. I'm not just phoning it in. Absolutely. Well, you said something too that I think trips people out if they aren't performers, which is that you can be telling a joke or in my case, I can be doing a full on motivational moment or I'm giving a talk and there is a voice in the back of my head that's like, I don't know what point I'm trying to make. I am lost yes. right now and I've got to figure out. And I have a friend who's a huge musician and he was like, I will be fully doing a song. The audience is crying, like all these people in the arena. And he's thinking, what am I going to eat for dinner when this is done? Yes. It sounds so nuts that it's almost like two parts of our brain. Like it separates so that you can do your work and also be orchestrating the work. You know, I think the best analogy I heard for this recently was when you first learn to drive a car, like you're like, oh God, like every, you're like obsessed with like every little turn. You're 16, you're like merging. You're like, how do I do this? And like, you got to figure out the brake is this one and the, uh, the gas. And, but then when you start, when you become good at driving, you don't think about driving at all. You're literally, yeah. your brain forgets you. Even, sometimes you get from point A to point B and you go, what did I do? How Like, was I even paying attention? <laughs> yeah. And that's how it is when you've been performing long enough. It becomes like driving where you can. Uh, it's not the whole time that we're on autopilot for sure. Like, but there are it's a wild phenomenon when you are up there and you mm -hmm. can you realize that you are in the middle of this p pivotal moment and you're like, oh, I am thinking about if they got the Uber Eats order that I like if they had to replace that one <laughs> part of my order or if did like we found the right the vegan restaurant. Block? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's and I don't I like to have those, you know, moments as as little as possible. But that is also the beauty of what we do is that because we're known for, you know, being authentic and like that's why people respond to what we say, we can kind of admit these things. I mean, I don't think that there are other yeah. people that can actually say this because it's it's so performative all the time. But I can I like being a comedian and um, having the freedom to you know, show my flaws or show the things that might not make me look as cool. I think that's like the, the beauty of, of being a comedian. And, um, and like, yeah, I, I think the more that I do it, I was like having s a trouble with like, once I got into recovery of like really like doing comedy anymore and being like, everything is just so like, <laughs> like comedy is just like, you can't be sincere even for a fucking second or everyone goes like, ew, cringe, be funny. Like, and I was really like in this sincere moment in my life when I 
started liking myself and just doing more journaling and meditating. And I'm like, I kind of want to talk about more sincere things on stage. And it's really been like a, a, a fine art of trying to balance those two and have like motivational parts of my set that leave people feeling like more empowered. But how I've done that is just talk about things that are funny to me, but also focus on things that people have shame about and people don't talk about. So there's ways to make things funny and palatable when talking about taboo things that is just, I just want to like do what I want for myself, which is like get rid of any shame. But sincerity for me has been a struggle. And that's why I've kind of gravitated towards, I, I really want to like pursue a career in like singing and songwriting, which has been like my secret obsession really? all along. And so Wait, I'm starting that journey. What? Yeah, Let's it's talk. because- it's always what I've wanted to do. It's like in high school, I wanted to be a singer and a singer songwriter. I didn't know how to play an instrument. My dad's a really good guitarist. So I, it's when you grow up with, it's almost like Nepo babies. I kind of feel like they deserve a little credit because <laughs> when you grow up with parents who have been doing something for 30 years and they're like the best at it, and then you try to do it, you're going to pale in comparison because they're so good. So I was just constantly surrounded by like really great musicians in my house and then I just felt like, you know, as a beginner guitarist in high school, I just sucked compared to my dad. So I was like, I'm giving up. I'm like not yeah. a natural. So I gave up and I tried to be a singer too. And um, I, I was told by a music, a, a voice teacher I was going to, she told my mom, like, Nikki does not have it. This is a waste of your money, essentially. And I was like, oh. so I got completely discouraged from that one goddamn teacher. And then oh, um, freaking it sucked people. so much, but it's always been my passion. So, I mean, in high school, I was just like, I got to come. I guess it was college once my dream had really died and I was I didn't get into any theater schools. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I always knew that I wanted to be on TV and work in, you know, Hollywood. And um, thank God someone recommended stand up comedy. And I checked that out. And that was something that I was like naturally good at right away. I wasn't like great because no one is. But I definitely had like people were like, you've got something like keep this up. But. Um, with music, but I secretly was always just like, man, if I could really change, like if I could be anything, I'd want to be a like a singer, songwriter. And and then when the pandemic hit, I was living with my parents and I'm surrounded by my dad's guitars. And <laughs> then Taylor Swift's folklore came out and I was like listening to that a lot. And I was like, I really want to just like, like I'm start done. Yeah. <laughs> I like want to sing. Like I want to sing these songs. So I got a karaoke machine because I also wasn't performing stand-up. So there was like no emotions coming out of me, which I didn't know that was such an outlet every night of like getting on stage and talking. So I was just really pent up. So I like bought a karaoke machine and every morning I would just sing karaoke in my parents' house, um, much to their chagrin. And um, eventually I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I just looked into it and it turns out if you have a decent voice, which I do, it's not great, but it's decent. You yeah. have an instrument that you can learn. And so now I'm taking voice lessons. I've gotten so you much can better. learn. And I, like, I always just That's thought awesome. your voice was like, you either got it or you don't. But like, it turns out practice like, <laughs> does help and so that's what I'm doing now and it's like it's kind of cool at the age of you know I started when I was 36 to like start on a new career again it's like I need something to make me uncomfortable again and to like really be obsessed with because yeah. I used to be so obsessed with comedy when I started and I've kind of lost that 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 you know fervor for it um and so it's See, nice I, again I think that's totally normal I think it's totally normal to have success in a certain industry, in a career, and be like, okay, what now? Because obviously yeah. you're driven, you are ambitious, you've done all of these things. It's going to have to be something new because you're bored. 
It it just yes. is, right? Yes. So I and you're also you're going back to this thing of like it's a little bit painful because I don't know. Have you yes. like posted anything on social oh, media yet? And it's how so painful. Oh my god. It's like, so I was, the first thing I did, well, I was singing for a while and taking lessons. And um, I, one of my best friends is a singer songwriter. And she was like, we should like rent studio space. And like, and my friend started writing songs for me. And I was like, I'm not going to record any of these. Like, I suck. Like, I'm not going to be one of these people, like a, a desk, one of the, you know, housewives that puts out an album and everyone makes fun of them. Like, I know my place. Like, <laughs> I need to like, I need to wait seven years of like training before I release anything. Like, I don't want to be, it's almost like nepotism for myself. Like, I know people would listen to my album because I'm a comedian, but I wanted to be like, I almost want to come up with a stage name so that no one knows it's me. So I like make it on my own. Oh my but anyway, I was cutting this... <laughs> I was cutting this like private album that I was just for me, like no one else. I just want to see what I could do with it. And then Bob Saget, who is a friend of mine, died while we were in studio. And I was writing this song with my friend who um, had wrote, written the original song. And then I was like, I feel like this, I was so sad about Bob and we had to, but we had to like do these recordings because we bought the studio space and I was like, this song actually kind of feels the same way that it feels to lose a friend. And I was like, let me just try to rewrite the lyrics about Bob. And so I rewrote the song. We recorded it. And I was like, you know what? I'll put this out because I just feel like I need to just share what he meant to me. And so I released this song and I got so like everyone made, not everyone, some people who are very nice. It's not bad. I listened to it now and it was like, it's not bad. It's not great, but it is, it. It's it's beautiful. I, it makes me cry even like thinking about it. But I got so tr like people were so mean about me. Like I have all these comedy <sighs> podcasts, like friends of mine just trashed me because what I know why they did it, because they all want to be singers too. every single comedian secretly wants yeah. to be a musician. <laughs> and they're jealous that I which is what all comedians are. We're jealous of people who have no shame. Like if the, the best people in this business are usually the ones that are the most shameless because you take risks because we're so scared of being embarrassed that comedians a lot of times will not take any risk. It seems like we're so, we take so many, but we don't. And being sincere is the biggest risk you can take as a comedian because you, no one wants to be cringe and it's cringe to look sincere and have people go like, ew, emotions. So Everyone was cringed out. But I mean, even Howard Stern made fun of me. Like it was panned across and I was so embarrassed. But then I was like, they're all just kind of jealous. I just, because I know okay. I would be whenever I make fun of someone on, if I like, you know, see something on Instagram and I'm like, ew, she's so thirsty. Like she thinks she's hot. I'm probably jealous that she can put out a thirst trap and not be embarrassed by it because I really would love to put out thirst traps sometimes because I look fucking great sometimes, but I don't do it because I don't want people to make fun of me. So what I'm really jealous of is not her body per se. It's her ability to not give a fuck what people think because that is so, um, if you cannot care what other people think, it's incredible. So once I was able to like, get made fun of and like kind of break that seal. Then I was like, okay, I'm not releasing anything until I really feel like it should be released. I, I mean, if friends of mine keep dying, I'll keep releasing songs, but um, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I was on the mass singer later in the year. I was, I just did it this past no um, September. I got third place. I lost to Wilson Phillips and um, Amber Riley, who are two professional singers. So I, I had a really good showing on that. I got vocal cord surgery after that because I had a lot of damage on my cords from years of just talking. 
And um, and so now I'm just taking voice lessons, you know, like three times a week. I'm really like throwing myself into it to get those like, you know, it's a it's a race to the 10,000 hours. And, um, yes. and yeah, I'm just it's but it's it's you got to be a little shameless to be an adult and to start something late. Like I travel with my guitar everywhere I go so I can just practice and uh, on the road. And whenever I'm traveling, gate attendants or the you check your luggage, they're always like, oh, I want to play guitar. And I go, please do. I was like, I picked it up at 35 and I can't believe how good I got in two years. And I'm not naturally good at it. My fingers are like stiff. I, I'm not a nat. No one would ever have been like, you're a natural, but just do it because you'll, I always tell this with stand up too. people who are like, I want to do stand up. Just do it because you, once you get started, you'll regret that you didn't do it sooner. And you just have to get past the uncomfortability of looking stupid. It's so much of life. We miss out on things because we don't want to look stupid, but just like once it's over, it's over and you're alive and you go, okay, I got made fun of on Howard Stern because, and the song is still out there for people to mock, but (laughs) <laughs> okay, literally nothing changed. My parents still love me. My friends still love me. Like I survived. It didn't kill me. And so I think that's, I kind of just, yeah, I got to keep telling myself that because I'm so, you know, I still carry a lot of like fear of being made fun of that carries over from middle school and just, you know, prepubescent boys probably wanting to date me, but didn't know how. So they called me ugly or Ellen or whatever. Ellen had just come out as gay in 98. And so that was what they all called me because I didn't want to date them, which is now I'm like flattered. I'm like, thank you. I'm I'm as funny as Ellen. They're like, no, we just said that because you're probably gay. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine too. Okay. Okay. Wait, I want to ask this question. Do you ever bring the guitar on? stage when you're on this tour no but I bring I sing a lot not a lot but I sing like a a song my friend opens for me and I come out and I sing with her and then just this past weekend I was like I'm gonna stay out for one more song because I was on the mass singer and now people expect it from me and everyone's like no we don't and I'm like don't worry (laughs) this isn't gonna take away from my time doing stand-up I'm gonna give you just as much stand-up but I really want to sing this new Taylor Swift song sing along with me so and I try to make it funny so that it's not a complete like what is she like? I I never want to be Michael Jordan playing baseball. Not that I would compare myself to Michael Jordan ever, but it's kind of, you know, everyone was just like, what is he doing? This is so embarrassing. He's not as good as he is at basketball, but it makes sense why he did it. He was bored and he wanted a new challenge and God, he made it to the, uh, like the majors, you know, like, which is so impressive. I think he made it to the majors, maybe just the minor league, but whatever. Yeah, I like, think he ended up being amazing at baseball too. Uh, But I like what you just said, what you just told us and shared with us when you were talking about like just trying things and putting yourself out there and it doesn't matter and you still live like you saying that you want to incorporate a little bit more uplifting stuff into your standup because that's sort of how you're feeling right now. That's the fucking bit, dude. I know I know you could make that funny, but I'm inspired by that. What you don't know, and I don't know why you would know this, is I have spent the last 18 months learning guitar and writing songs and because I love it. Not I'm I am not a performer and a singer or any of those things. But you are a but, performer. Well, I'm a performer, but I'm not like But you don't want to do you don't want to perform no, guitar? No. Really? I, I just want to write songs because I'm a writer. Wait, That's what I've I've written 10 books. I like But you want to so, write songs for other people? Or yeah. do, do you have no desire to sing them yourself? 
I the only reason why I would ever sing them is because I feel like that's the only way people would hear them right now is right. if I like oh, that's hey so I cool. have all these followers and like I wrote this song here's the song <gasps> but have you written what, songs oh yeah I've written songs <gasps> wait did you like teachers did because I'm looking for like a songwriting course or like a songwriting teacher because I just it's so I try to write songs all the time and it's so sincere I like can't do it like it's so like the like, music part or the lyric part the lyrics like it's so cr- like I'm so, so used to writing jokes music. like anytime it gets a little oh. tense where it's like oh this is too sincere I can cut it with a joke but right. like music you just have to like put your heart it's just so uncomfortable for me it's so I ended up I love that you play guitar for the past yeah so, are you, so you take lessons and everything I take lessons on an app and I screw around and watch YouTube videos. Me too. I just, that's how I take lessons. I took lessons for a while, but like, I just like to play songs I want to play. And then you learn chord progressions and you're like, I think I can play a C, G, D, E minor. Let's like, let's write a song. Everybody that I love and admire who's a musician didn't take a course. They just screwed around and like, so that's what I'm trying to do. Keep it fun. I feel like if you take nothing else out of our time today, I feel like you should somehow incorporate this into your standup because it, women especially are so hard on themselves. We feel like it's past my time. I should have done it already. I didn't make a career of this. It's never going to be mine. And what that means is that you have this whole society of women who think, as we discussed earlier, that their most important role is to be someone's mama or someone's wife, and they have nothing for themselves. They have no hobbies. They have no interests. They have no passions because they think they'll be made fun of. And I just feel like if you you lead out on that, I feel like you could change people's It could inspire people. Yes, you should do that. By being, by showing the, by showing the work, you know, showing how embarrassing it can. Yeah, the vulnerability of like, look at, I can be a little bit bad at this and try like I think you're right it really you've helped me with so much I'm gonna freeze Good. my eggs Perfect. I'm gonna sing more on stage yeah I'm gonna incorporate more positive right. messaging yes. in my stand-up and I'm gonna get this you. damn book um yes. I I appreciate it I yeah. mean you're really good at what you do I'm really inspired by you and I'm um so lucky to have met you and been able to do this podcast and yeah. just been turned on to you in a new way which I'm uh, uh, like having listened to that podcast just that one podcast i like Send it to all my friends immediately. You're very special. And I'm so excited to like dive into all of your work because you are the real deal. And I'm like Aww. so thrilled that I even got to like talk to yeah, you today. It's Nikki, such a, thank such you a for gift. Out. So tell them like where do oh, they yeah. find you? They want tickets. They want more of you. Like, give yeah, them all I'm the on details. tour like right now, big time. So there's so many tour dates, NikkiGlazer.com. I'm doing like a residency type thing in Vegas uh, Ooh, for like cool. four weekends with David Spade. So that is going to be an amazing show, but I'm all over the place touring. It's such a fun show. I would not like, there've been times I've been on tour and it's been like, you should probably skip this. And I had to promote it, but this time <laughs> it's like, no, I, it's such a good show. I'm it's all new material. Nothing you've heard in any of my specials. Um, and I have tons of specials that you can watch to gear up for it. I have uh, many on Netflix. And then I have a brand new one that was just nominated for a Critics' Choice Award on HBO Ooh, good called Good Clean Filth that came out in July of last year. And then you can listen to me. I have a podcast that I do two times a week on iHeartRadio called the Nikki Glazer Podcast. And it's uh, very much like this, just honest conversations and uh, just working things out. So I... Um, I hope to have made some new fans today. And uh, I certainly am a new fan of yours. So thank you so much. Thank you, too. Have a fantastic day, a fantastic week. Good luck with the egg freezing. 
And I hope Thank you, get you to hang so out much. again in the future. <laughs> you've, you've really changed my life today. There are major ramifications after this conversation. I cannot <laughs> wait to hear where we go from here. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.